The following is a special sports presentation of UltimateSportsTalk.com. High fly ball, way back in center field. It is out of here. A grand slam home run. And this one belongs to the Reds. UltimateSportsTalk.com now presents the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. A comprehensive look at the Cleveland Indians and Cincinnati Reds. For the sixth consecutive season, we examine each team and their progress through the 2016 Major League Baseball season. And now, the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Well, good evening, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. I am Dave Mitchell. Glad to have you along tonight on UltimateSportsTalk.com. And we have got a ton to talk about this evening as far as the Reds and the Indians are concerned, mainly on the Indians' side this week. But we're going to talk a lot about the Reds also. And in order to do that, we've got to go down south to talk to our resident Reds expert, Mark Donahue. Mark, how are you tonight? Uh, pretty good, Dave. Uh, despite the Reds living up to expectations this weekend, um, I guess, you know, if you're going to be upset over the season, it's because you haven't read the preseason progn- uh, uh, projections for the Cincinnati Reds. So I'm putting myself in that mode where uh, I used to care, but things have changed. You know, the Bob Dylan song. Well, the Bob Dylan song, you know, we, we could talk about that, but realistically, Mark, are you much of a Prince fan? I sure was a Prince fan. Yes, I was. Well, they are having a big, big celebration tonight during the the Indians and the Twins game. Of course, Prince was from Minneapolis, and they're going to be uh, singing 1999 during the seventh inning stretch. They've had... They're, they're in their red uniforms tonight. They've been doing things like for Purple Rain and everything here this evening, Mark. So it's, it's kind of been a real festive mood around the Twins-Indians game tonight, and the Indians are leading at one to nothing. The way, as an aside, uh, he probably didn't look like it because he was in only five. He was a, a very good basketball player, apparently, and also a good baseball player. Now, at 5-2, he, he certainly didn't play uh, – a power forward, but uh, I'm sure he was very quick, and uh, they say he was a very good baseball player as well. Well, that's what I understand, and uh, you know, of course, he was he was very good as far as a musician was concerned too. But Mark, I guess the big news of the week is the fact that Carlos Carrasco yesterday. Can I, can I redo my predictions? <laughs> I, after a month in the season, the Indians finally start playing some good baseball, Mark. And now they're starting to lose their pitching. And if they lose Carlos Carrasco, they're saying because of the hamstring injury, injury that he suffered yesterday. Mark, if he misses up to more than six weeks of the season, the Indians are going to be in dire trouble. They're going to really have to depend upon Trevor Bauer. Well, that's, yeah, I see your point, but it is only seven or eight starts. Uh, so you have to put it in perspective. You, know, he, he normally would have had 34, 35 starts. So it's really only 25% of his season or a little less than that, actually. So he wasn't going to win all those starts. So you have to kind of look on the positive side 
whomever they put in that position, hopefully will win one or two games. <clears throat> so his, his absence from the starting rotation, hopefully, won't have that big an impact uh, over a season of uh, 162 games. Well, the problem that they're going to have, though, is he has been keeping them in ball games, And he has been, uh, really, when you look at him and Kluber, it's been ace one and ace one A. And you could look at either or as being one or one A. And with the, the fact of Carrasco going down now, that really, you know, they say sometimes the trades that you don't make are the best trades. Well, now we're looking at the trade that the Indians did not make at the beginning of the season by trading Trevor Bauer to Texas for a middle reliever. Now they've got to depend upon Trevor Bauer and Cody Anderson and Josh Tomlin, who pitched very, very well against Detroit. Boy, the Indians played some good baseball this weekend against Detroit. And Mark kind of piggybacking upon what I said last week about the Indians playing a terrible defensive outfield every time Cody uh, uh, Corey Kluber pitches. Well, they played their good defensive outfield on Saturday, and they won 10-1. to well, And Tyler Naquin had a triple. And in a 10-1 to game, though, you don't need great defense. <laughs> Maybe not. That's, you're absolutely right. But the guy that they played because of the defense, Tyler Na- Tyler Naquin, that kid right now, I want to tell you what he's doing at the center field spot. He's batting three oh three and had a big triple that drove home two runs yesterday. And tonight he's sitting the bench because they're facing a left-hander. And we got Rajay Davis out in center field again. Well, if he drops a fly ball, then I think your point will be well taken. <laughs> All right. Jake Arias no-hitter last week. Boy, I'll tell you one thing, Mark. I think I had heard a stat where he has, the last 26 games he has started for the Cubs have been wins. Not by him, but by the team. Yeah, that's that's an amazing statistic. And the, the, the irony of that, and it points out to the weakness of the Reds' offense right now, they're just not hitting. Uh, he didn't look that sharp, Dave. I mean, he I think he walked four, which was more than he'd walked all year in one game. But the Reds, they didn't. They they had one hard hit ball the whole game, and they're just, you know, there's no protection for Vado. He's hitting 200 because they won't throw him a strike, and it's it's the same thing we've been saying for the last three years. They they didn't go out and get that that number four hitter they needed, and uh, it, it's going to be a long year, unfortunately, and and hopefully the Reds can. Uh, avoid losing 100 games, but it's it's going to be awfully difficult. They they just this weekend against the Cubs in the in the three of the four games they were outscored in three of the four games 33 to one. Now on Saturday night they won 13 to five, <clears throat> and they put up some numbers. Uh, but the, the team it looked like a Triple A team playing a major league team. It, there was that much difference between. Uh, the the 25 man rosters for for the Cubs and Reds, so the Reds if if this is a rebuilding phase, uh, the, the problem is you you don't have that solid core of young talent at Double and Triple A. They just don't have it yet. And maybe they'll develop this year, but you, you're not seeing any kind of outstanding performances so far in the minor leagues that would indicate they have somebody they're going to bring up. Well, how, 
what what are their plans? I mean, what I don't understand is I, I know you continue to complain about Robert Stevenson, but they brought him up for two spot starts this year, and he's pitched well in both of them. You can't deny that he has not pitched well, and they continue to send this kid down. What is their plan with this kid, and what is their their rotation plans? I know they got Bailey coming back maybe late this week, and De Scalfani next week. Well, I, I don't. I'm not down on Stevenson. Um, my, my problem was they don't give him a chance, and that's precisely what you just said. I mean, he's two and zero, and he pitched very well in, in the two games that he's he's been up here. He's won both of them, and then they send him down and pitch Alfredo Simon, who got absolutely crushed yesterday. Every ball they hit was a smash, and if it wasn't for a great defensive play by For more, it's. I tell you, a team that is losing like the Reds are going to lose this year. There's one thing about losing. There's another thing about being embarrassed. They were embarrassed this weekend against the Cubs, and I, that's the thing. It's going to get. It's not that they're going to be losing 95 to 100 games. I think there's a fait accompli with the current roster they have. But if we outscored 33 to 1 uh, against the Cubs, uh, I don't know how the organization can sustain having Brian Price as their leader. I, I don't understand it. And you got Jim Ruggerman on the bench, and I, and I think he's going to be the heir apparent after our list around. Tonight in the game against the Mets. At the beginning of the second inning, Brian Price came out and was talking to the crew chief and the home plate umpire about something, and nobody seemed to understand why. I was watching the New York Mets broadcast it at the time, and they didn't know what he was talking about. Were, were Tom Brenneman and Chris Welsh able to shed any light as to what Price was talking about at the beginning of the second? No, actually, it was Jeff Brantley uh, in the booth, and no, they did not know what was going on. Um, I think he was looking at the mound. I don't know what it was. Yeah, it was, it was just a, you know, nobody seemed to know it. But the Mets announcers, uh, which included Ron Darling and Keith Hernandez, they were talking about it and said that was the second straight game that the opposing manager has come out to talk to the umpires at the beginning of the second inning. So something must be going on at City Field that opposing managers aren't liking. Well, I, I don't know what could be going on physically on the on the mound that would make them come out there, but I'll tell you, uh, Noah Syndergaard, that young man can throw. <laughs> he he's he's got the highest average fastball in, in, in baseball. He's averaging as a starter 98 miles an hour, uh, a little over that actually. Uh, really a, a specimen, and strong and powerful legs and arm. Uh, he, he's going to be around for a while. He, he, uh, he was really throwing the ball well earlier tonight. But the one stat that I thought was amazing, and I'm not sure if the Reds announcers brought it up, but the Mets announcers did, Brandon Phillips, before he left the ball game, and we'll get into that here in a second, he's hit in 33 straight games against the Mets in New York City, whether it be Shea Stadium or City Field. He's hit in 33 consecu- consecutive games against the Mets. That's the longest streak by any Major League Baseball player against any team in a visiting park in Major League history. I did not know that. And uh, 
uh, you'd think the Mets would have traded for Brandon Phillips <laughs> during the offseason, given that statistic alone. Absolutely, but the the what happened later on in the ball game? I understand he got hit in the hand and had to leave the game. Yeah, he got hit. Actually, I thought his his wrist was broken, uh, and he just fouled off two balls off his left leg too. He was in a lot of pain, and uh, Syndergaard came inside and high. Brandon put his hand up on the bat and it hit his ring finger on his left hand. X-rays came back negative, so he'll be sore for a couple of days. But uh, I, I know there's a young man down in Indianapolis named Peraza who was probably uh, <clears throat> somebody got him the message pretty quick. Hey, Brandon may be on the DL for a couple of days. If it's only a bruise, I, I doubt he'll be able to play. Well, uh, uh, along with Phillips, prior to tonight's game against the Twins, in case you missed it, the Indians placed right-hander Carlos Carrasco on the 15-day DL with the strained left hamstring. Luckily, it's just strained, Mark. It's not tore. But that could keep him sidelined for up to six weeks. But the way he walked off the field, well, was helped off the field, I should say, yesterday, I would say if he gets back within six weeks, the Indians will be extremely lucky. And because of that injury, then they turned around and they activated left fielder Michael Brantley from the disabled list. Uh, following his comeback from off-season surgery on his right shoulder. Now, Carrasco came back to Cleveland yesterday to be evaluated by, get this name, and I I don't want to say this name quickly three times, Dr. Mark Schickendance. Schickendance uh, examined him, put him through the MRI, and they diagnosed it as just a moderate strain of the hamstring. Mark, i got to tell you, I don't know if you saw the way he came off the field or the injury happened against Detroit, they had to carry him off the field. They had to carry him down in the locker room. If that's a moderate strain, I'd hate to see a severe strain of the hamstring. Well, I, I'm sure you've played, you've been an athlete your whole life too, Dave, and uh, I've, I've torn some things, and a torn hamstring can really get your attention. And even a strained hamstring uh, can can really hurt. I, I think probably they they erred on the side of caution and told him not to walk on it until they found out what it was. Because if it was torn, uh, if it's you know I, I've seen hamstrings that have been torn away from the bone, and you're talking uh, that could be a season-ending injury, and in some cases it can be a, a career-threatening injury when you have uh, something that severe. I'm trying to think who. Oh, it was Ken Griffey Jr. Ken Griffey Jr., if you recall, he pulled the hamstring off the bone, and he missed an entire year and was never the same after that. And it, you know, because it, it's it's your legs and baseball. It, uh, people think it's having big arms and, and all that stuff. It's not all the power from a pitcher and a hitter. It uh, it comes from your lower unit, and uh, that's why he uh, Griffey just never recovered from that injury. Well, and that's what I'm afraid of with Carrasco, because it is a hamstring. It's his left hamstring. That's his plant leg. That's the one where, you know, he's going to plant his leg on and push through the rest of the, the motion mark. And you tell me, what what is the left leg for a right-hander? How much is that involved in your motion? It depends on what kind of motion you have. Uh, that's your landing leg, basically. 
and that puts a lot of strain on your knee and your thigh. Now, I, I think it would be worse if it was his push leg, if it was his right leg and he's pushing off the, the rubber because you have to drive off that leg. Uh, as long as your hamstring can support your weight when you land on it, uh, I don't think that is as problematic for a right-hander as it is the push leg. Because if you look at all the great right-hand pitchers, pitchers, uh, Clemens and, and Nolan Ryan, look at those guys, how they drive off the mound with their right leg. Now, certainly the, the left leg has to catch them and support it. But I, if I had my choice, I'd much rather have a pulled hamstring or uh, whatever it is on my left leg as opposed to my right leg if I was a right-hand pitcher. Well, when he left the ball game yesterday, they brought in Trevor Bauer to take over for him. And Bauer did excellent. He did a great job for the Indians out of the bullpen, managed to save their behinds in that game. And that was the first time that the Indians, Mark, have swept the Tigers in Detroit at Comerica Park since 2008. So that was a big, big series because over the last couple of years, the Indians have had just one heck of a time beating the Tigers anywhere. It didn't matter if it was in Cleveland, Detroit. They could have played on a Little League diamond in Toledo, and the Indians still would have had a tough time beating Detroit. But they they pulled out that three-game sweep. They're in third place in the American League Central, and I think despite the injury to Carrasco, I think that really catapulted them towards the heading into the end of this month. I was just hoping the Indians could finish 500 at the end of April. And right now on the week, they were 4-2, and two, and they're 9-7 and seven on the season. I'm happy with that after 16 games. The Indians, you know, with that record. The Reds, though, are 9-10. and 10, And I would think, Mark, that the Reds have got to be happy with where they're at. Yeah, I to me isn't as telling as the losses they've had because they've been blown out in many of their losses. Now, they're going to be getting some guys back in the next two or three weeks. And I think the first week in May, they indicated that they could have an entirely different rotation with the exception of Iglesias coming in to pitch for the Reds. So there's good things coming, but Dave, you can't score, you know, you can't score one run a game with this offense and have any hope of winning this year. Well, it brings up a stat that they mentioned yesterday about Corey Kluber. Mark, when the Indians score four runs or more for Corey Kluber, they have lost once in his last 30 starts. When they have scored two runs or less, they have won only seven times in his last 35 starts. That's an amazing stat, and that's very telltale. Yeah, he's a, he's a guy who uh, his his secondary numbers tell more about his performance, particularly last year, where his record wasn't very good, win loss record, but his secondary numbers were <laughs> were off the chart and, and very impressive, and they just have to score runs for that guy. Yeah, that that's the big thing about him, Mark. What's the situation? With Homer Bailey. I'm hearing he'll be back at the end of this week. He He's made a rehab start, came out pretty well. They're expecting him to be back when? Uh, another two weeks, I heard today. He's pitching again this weekend, and then he has one more start after that. So he'll have his last rehab start probably a week from now or, or soon thereafter, and then okay. uh, he'll have one more. And I, I would say he'd be back in two weeks. 
And now, it's interesting you bring that up because depending where the Reds are, uh, there's a team out there that is in dire need of some starting pitching if they're going to contend. And you know who I'm talking about? No. The Dodgers. Oh, okay. And that with that payroll, they better. That's hard to believe. Yeah. Yeah. They better win. I heard last night that the Dodgers are paying $80 million this year to players who have been released or are on other teams. Wow. 80 million bucks. Now that is just ridiculous ownership or GM. Uh, but if Homer Bailey comes to the Reds and he, he's pitching well through May and June, uh, what could the Reds get for Homer Bailey in terms of prospects? I think, you think they'll still go after that shortstop again. Oh, from the Dodgers? <laughs> right. Seems like every time they talk to the Dodgers, they bring up that shortstop's name. Except that uh, Cozart's hitting 390. So <laughs> maybe not so much. I don't know. But there's so many holes. I, I think the Reds pitching, even if they lose Bailey, uh, over the next three or four years is going to be okay. They've got a lot of guys in the low minors. They just don't have anybody at AA and AAA that they could bring up to help this team now. But they're going to get a number two draft pick this year. They're going to get a sandwich pick. Uh, they're going to be drafting low next year as well. They should get a really good draft pick next year. So that's the way the Cubs did it. You know, the Cubs were awful. That's the way Houston did it. They drafted well. Now, the key is the Reds have to draft well. But they're going to have an opportunity to do that uh, the next two years at least. Well, yeah, but now they've got to do something with those draft picks. You know, for example, over the past few years, you know, when uh, I know you hate it when I bring this name up, Mark Shapiro was drafting for the Indians. Their their draft classes were never any good. And then uh, they they got rid of him out of the draft room and they started picking some pretty good ball players. to now their, their minor leagues are in good shape. The Reds, as we've talked about in weeks past, their minor leagues have improved, but that's because they've picked up so many prospects in the trades that they've made over the last year. Yeah, they've not done it by by draft. They've done it by trade. And I can't, I can't honestly, Dave, look at one player, certainly on their forty man roster, but maybe their, their their top fifty prospects, and say, wow, this guy, he is going to be the next coming of somebody. Uh, you know, he, he's the next Corey Kluber, or he's the next big bat the Reds don't have. I don't see it, and that's the frightening thing, is that whatever is going to be happening this year, it could, it could happen for several more years into the future, and that's not something that is going to turn the fans away. And uh, the other day they had a, a day game on Wednesday, I think it was against Colorado, and there were only 12,000 people there, and that is the uh, that that's a sign of things to come because once the Euphoria of a new season weighs off, wears away, and the Reds by June are 18 games out of first place, on pace to lose 110 games. People aren't going to show up. So I don't understand the logic. If, if if a team says they they have to get rid of players because they don't have any money, you mean keeping fans away is the way to improve that situation? No, not at all. Absolutely not. But that's that's the way it's been for the Indians over the past few years, you know. And and the problem that the Reds have, Mark, is the ballpark is old enough to where everybody has seen it. 
And once empathy sets in for the fans with the Reds, that's when you'll see the attendance go right into the dumper. Yeah, again, you know, they, they have, I guess, uh, a grace period here for the first month or two. And I don't want to write them off entirely because, as you know, a lot of things can happen in baseball. But if you watch all four games over the weekend, even in the games they won, the, the one game they won, they won 13-5, to I was not secure in that team winning that game in, in the ninth inning. I mean, it was he, the Cubs were smacking the ball over the place, and the Reds don't have a closer now. <coughs> Pardon me. J.J. Hoover has been absolutely horrific this year, and nothing tears the gut out of a team more than late-inning losses. And they've had, they've had a, already a handful of those things where they have a lead going into the seventh and eighth inning, and then they, they, they blow it. What, what's the situation with Singrani right now? Inconsistency, as it always is. It's, it always is. Uh, you know, he can't find the strike zone, and he'll pitch great one day and come in. And the other day he gave up three runs in the eighth inning uh, and, and, and walked two or three guys. And he's got a great arm, and I don't know what the I don't know what the problem is. I think he ought to be a starter. I've always said that, but uh, it's he's one of those guys who could come here with a great arm, great expectations. In two years, he's traded to another team, and three years, he's out of baseball. He, he just can't find the strike zone, and the problem is he's wild in the strike zone, and that that's the kiss of death at this level. Or he may find it. When he goes to another team, he just may all of a sudden find it. He may. Uh, you know, Corey Kluber, I guess, was one of those guys who found it. How about Arietta? Uh, you know, right. he found it uh, after being traded. And he he's as dominant as there is in baseball right now. Oh, he may be. Mark, he may be the best pitcher in baseball right now. Matter of fact, I don't think there's any doubt. He is the best pitcher <coughs> in baseball right now. Well, I, I would think um, Kershaw may, you know, have a vote in that. But uh, you're right, Arietta right now, he's dominant. And w- with that team, you can see the spirit in that team. People can't get wait out, they can't wait to get out there and pitch with that kind of offense. And, and the other thing about the Cubs, they've got a great defensive team, and that may be overlooked by a lot of people. But they, I think they're leading Major League Baseball with the fewest errors. Here's a, here, this is not the trivia question of the night, but here's a little trivia question for you. There is one pitcher in baseball right now that leads baseball in the most 10 strikeout, three or less walk performances in his career. Do you know who that pitcher is? He's currently pitching? Yes. 10 or more strikeouts, and what else? And, and three or less walks. In the most games. Well, it's got to be a guy who's been around for a long time. Um, can I think about I'll tell you, it? I'll tell you it's not a guy that's been around very long. Matter of fact, there are two of them, one right after the other. One has done it one more time than the other, and they are both under 30 years old. Homer Bailey? Not Homer Bailey. Number two is Kershaw. Yeah. Number one is Corey Kluber. No kidding. 
Yeah, I couldn't believe that when they mentioned that stat yesterday. Most games, 10 strikeouts, three or less walks. Huh. Yeah, hard to believe, but, you know, especially to be in the same mention with Kershaw, uh, and that that's where Corey Kluber is, Mark. But, Mark, okay, two things about the Reds before we get into a couple of other things. Is Eugenio Suarez making people forget about Todd Frazier? Oh yeah, I, I think so, and I think he's he's gonna he's gonna make that happen more you know, as time goes on. Uh, Todd Frazier's off to a great start by the with the White Sox, by the way. Yeah, he is. Uh, but he is the kind of guy who have a great April, then go O for May, and that's what was so frustrating about him. So I, I think he's uh, Suarez. He just doesn't have the glove that Frazier has right now, but this is his first year at third base, and I think with his shortstop talent, he'll be able to adapt to third base. But as a bat, this this kid, if he gains another five well, Mark, but you're he, he's missed out there. Three or four. Yeah, you're you're cutting I'm sorry. out on your. That's all right. Uh, you're you're back now, but another another two guys that I wanted to bring up tonight, Mark, were Adam Duvall and Scott Shebler. Now Duvall has pretty much solidified that left field spot for the Reds. But the question I've got is, how close is Scott Shebler to being their everyday center fielder? Not even close. Not even close. He uh, both those guys. Uh, Adam Duvall, by the way, has struck out three times tonight against Syndergaard, so I'm not going to hold that against him, but he's looked terrible at the plate. But both of those guys, Dave, are, are to me, uh, quad-A players. They're, they're not triple-A. They're better than triple-A, but they're not major league ready. They're, they're overpowered. Uh, the Cubs overpowered them this weekend. Uh, they're they're kind of helpless at the plate against solid pitching. I, I they're, they're a long way from being, in my opinion, productive major league players well that being said what's the situation with billy hamilton then i know he did get a bunt single early in the game tonight he did and he just lined out to center field tonight and second at bat and uh you know he's he stole a couple of bases already the mm-hmm. problem is dave he's never going to hit more than 230 240 he's got to get his on base percentage which means he has to walk more into the 320, 330 range, or at least 300. Because what they do, they just pound the ball over the plate and say, here, Billy, hit it. They won't walk him because he's not going to do anything with it. So unless he can do that, uh, his defense isn't enough, I don't think, to keep him on uh, the opening, you know, starting rotation or starting lineup. (coughs) He's a, he's a great talent and some guys just never figure it out. And I, I don't see him having the, the, the kind of ability that's going to let him hit 250, 260, which would be terrific if he did. Well, Anthony DiScalfani, uh, he apparently is going to be back sometime next week also, right? That's correct. That's right. So, right what do you see the Reds' the other guy down the Reds there. rotation in the, May, in the May? Well, it was supposed to be John Lamb, DiScalfani, Homer Bailey, uh, Rasel Iglesias, and then uh, Simon, that was supposed to be it. But I, I think they're going to bring up Reed uh, before they, you know, give Simon many more starts, and then put Simon in the bullpen. That's where they need some help. 
So, you know, they lost their entire starting rotation except Iglesias. <clears throat> yeah, they, they did. And what about Jumbo Diaz? I, from what I understand, hearing some reports from Mo Egger and Lance McAllister, uh, if he doesn't get things straightened around on this trip down to the minor leagues, he may be released. Yeah, he he's completely, you know, a guy like that who's got a, a golden arm, you know, he, he never comes into camp in shape. They said he lost, he went from 330 down to 275 or 280. Dave, he's a, he's a sloppy 280. I mean, the guy ought to be waiting about, weighing about 220, 225, 230. Uh, and, and why don't you take your career more serious than that? I, I don't understand it. He's on the Pablo Sandoval diet. Apparently. Uh, they, they have the same <laughs> nutritionist, I guess. <laughs> You know, as far as the Indians are concerned, Lonnie Chisenhall came back last week. He's uh, off tonight because the Indians are facing a left-hander. And as Terry Francona is prone to do, he runs that platoon system, and it just drives me nuts, but that's another story. And Francisco Lindor, Mark Boy, he's the Indians' leading hitter right now. 323, three hits yesterday against the Tigers. And, boy, did he get a great amount of praise from former Indian shortstop Omar Vizquel over the weekend. Omar just thinks that this kid can really be something special for the Indians. You know, Dave, I was the one who said they should have brought him up sooner last year. <laughs> Mark, I'll, I'll remember that. I'll remember you saying that. Matter of fact, I'll go back and check the tapes and I'll, I'll play it next week if I can find it. <laughs> okay. Hey, Albert Pujols, in Major League Baseball, around Major League Baseball, Mark, Albert Pujols hit his 563rd home run yesterday, tied him with Reggie Jackson for 13th place on the all-time list. You know, I didn't realize he was climbing the ranks as quickly as he is. Yeah, that, that surprises me, too. I mean, he was he's 36, 37 years old? Right. <coughs> he's 35. He's 35. He's 35. We know he's, but he's an old 35. Well, that's what they said about Frank Robinson, too. But, uh, you know, he can hit another 200 home runs in his career. That's not, you know, he, he could hit, he could play into his early 40s, at least 150. I mean, that puts you in rare fight air. And, uh, you know, he's, he's clearly a Hall of Famer. And But it, it's so ironic that that deal where the Cardinals got rid of Pujols was probably one of the smartest deals a team has made in the last 10 or 15 years. That they did not sign that big contract, and the Cardinals go on to win several divisions, and the Angels haven't done anything. And they were criticized and criticized and criticized by sports radio talk show hosts, by fans, by players alike, agents, over not signing Albert Pujols to a big deal, and now the Angels are saddled with that contract for the next, if I remember right, the next at least five years, possibly six. Well, it's the same kind of deal that the Reds signed with Joey Votto. Now, I think Joey Votto is going to hit more than 200, which is hitting now. But I tell you, Joey Votto's swing this year, there is something funky about it. He's changed his swing. He's, he's using a karate chop swing, and he doesn't have the power he had. And talk about an albatross contract. Uh, if, if Joey Vada were to go into the tank over the next three or four years, 
and he's already 32, you're going to have that contract waiting down this organization for the next nine years. And I think that was one of the – I'm a big Joy Votto fan, by the way. But if the Reds are crying poor because they don't have the money, look at that contract first. Well, that one. Now, Brandon Phillips' contract is up at the end of the year, right? Yes. And they've also got Jay Bruce, which I think is up next year, if I'm not mistaken. That's correct. And then but then you have the Homer Bailey contract, which has six more years, another $100 million deal. And those players alone uh, just stifle this, this organization being able to do anything. I, I cannot understand how any team that says they have income or payroll problems, how can you sign – a player to a 10-year deal at over $200 million. That makes no economic sense. It, 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 it just doesn't make past the logic test. Why would you do that? I, I You know, I, I think the salaries are out of control as it is, but I don't know, Mark. That's a very good question. But you've got owners that, you know, sometimes I think they're just too competitive for their own good and they don't use – good business sense, good common sense when it comes to uh, signing players to contracts? Well, I think they read the papers too much, and they see statistics. And, again, I am a fan of Joey Votto. I I always have been. But imagine Joey Votto. I mean, I think once a big poppy leaves Boston, the Red Sox would be a great home for Joey Votto. I mean, that short right field fence. And the left field green monster, which he can plaster all the time, the way he goes to left field, uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised that the Indians take or the Red Sox take a shot at Joey Votto next year to replace Poppy at first base. Well, they've got a they've got a pretty good minor league system, Mark, and and they could probably send some prospects the Reds' ways. I I don't think you're wrong on that. Well, I don't even think the Reds need prospects on that deal. You really want somebody to just take over that contract. And if you have an extra $25 million a year for the next nine years to spend, uh, you can sign some more productive free agents with that kind of money. You know, speaking of which, when we were talking about home runs with Albert Pujols, get this. The Atlanta Braves' loss on Sunday is putting them on pace for 126 losses this year, Mark. And then the Braves have hit – do you know how many home runs the Braves have hit this year? Take Eight. a guess. Eight. Wrong. Three. Three. Three home runs in 18 games, and they have not homered since April 10th. And here's another question for you. Do you know who hit their last homer? Probably a pitcher. No. Drew Stubbs. Is that right? He went deep off Adam Wainwright. You talk about ironic. Drew Stubbs going deep off Adam Wainwright. That's the last home run that the Atlanta Braves hit. And that was all the way back on April the 10th. They have gone 517 at bats, 517 at bats without hitting a home run. They've got no power at all, none. That's amazing. That, that is. That, that stat there, I think, is the amazing, the amazing stat of the week. It, it, that's hard to believe. They, they are really bad. But then let's look at another team in that division, Mark, that is doing pretty well, and that is the Washington Nationals. They've got the best record 
in the National League at 14-4. and four. They're actually a half a game above the Cubs. And their new manager, Dusty Baker, that appears to, boy, that, that may have been a match made in heaven. I said that during the, uh, during the offseason when I heard Dusty was going over there. I think he is just what that team needs. And I would love to see Dusty get a world championship. Uh, you know, Joe, he, he's a good guy. And uh, he, he did some good things for the Reds. And I don't, I don't think that uh, they should have let him go. But I think Dusty saw the writing on the wall with Cincinnati. That uh, he didn't have a choice, I guess. But um, I'm glad he got a second chance. And if he's able to turn that talent on over there, that team can be around for a long time. And they got the money to keep the, you know, the, the fans in the stands and keep that roster uh, very productive over a long period of time. Well, you know, we've, we've talked about Bryce Harper. But you know a guy that is batting behind Bryce Harper right now is former Mets second baseman and now their second baseman, Daniel Murphy. And that guy's really rounding into a very good Major League Baseball player. Yeah, you know, last year, he was with the Mets last year, and uh, he's he had that kind of talent. Now, everybody's probably remembering, I think, he, wasn't he the guy who booted the ball in the, in the, in the World Series? I like think he made two costly errors in the World Series. But offensively, this guy has always had the, the chops. But Bryce Harper, you mentioned him. Bryce Harper, you know, may be the next guy to hit 700 home runs. This guy is unbelievable, the power he has. Well, A-Rod will probably be the next guy to hit 700 home runs. Yeah, if they don't put an asterisk next to his name. Unfortunately. <laughs> and there you go. There you go. Hey, speaking of A-Rod, here we go. You want me to bring it up. Here we go. This is an A-Rod. Chris Colabello has become the latest player to be suspended for violating Major League Baseball's performance-enhancing drug policy. On Friday, he was suspended 80 games after he tested positive for a PED. But get this, Mark, in 10 games this year, he was just 2 for 29 with 2 walks and 9 strikeouts. So that really helped him out. That helped him a tremendous amount. Yeah, just think if he hadn't taken steroids. Yeah. He may have only struck out eight times. That's right. <laughs> you know. Hey, I, I've got to I've got to talk about this, Mark, and I, I want to get your opinion on this. Um, over the weekend, I had an opportunity to do a high school baseball game over in Canton, Ohio, at Thurman Munson Stadium. Um, the Indians' former Double A team, which is now the Akron Rubber Ducks, used to play at that, that stadium. Thurman Munson Stadium, which is right off of I-77 South, just south, a little bit south of Now, they don't play any minor league games there any longer, and they haven't for about 20 years. They play some college games, Division Three. Every once in a while, a Division Two school plays there. Um, and they don't, they do play some high school games. Mark, I was really excited about doing a game in that stadium. Uh, I, I thought it would be fun to do a game from a minor league stadium. And I've got a couple stories. I, I ended up leaving there Saturday night. We did a doubleheader. I ended up leaving there depressed. Um, that stadium desperately needs an upgrade and needs a minor league team in it, whether it be a single-A team or a developmental team, whatever. It 
it is a stadium that is in search of a minor league team. Mark, the outfield was littered with dandelions. The outfield fence had weeds mm-hmm. at the base of it. It looks like the stadium hasn't had a coat of paint on it in the last 20 years. I swear in the press box there were bugs that I saw in there that were mummified, and I swear one had a wrapper around it from 1999. Um, <laughs> another, This is a true story. I was the only one in the press box doing the game, Mark, the two games, the only one in the press box. The custodian for the stadium came up to me in between games and said, are you doing the second game? I said, yes. He said, okay, here's the light switch. Lock the door. Lock the windows. Pull the door tight. Have a nice night. I was the one that locked up the stadium on the way out. Yeah, but It really was depressing, Mark. Yeah, but Dave... You know, people don't understand, though, how much money you're making doing these things. <laughs> on, on those, I make the same amount as you do on this, this show. So, but, you know, it, it, it comes down to it, Mark. You know, in my opinion, it's almost an insult to Thurman Munson's name. And you and I remember Thurman <laughs> Munson and what a great ball player he was and what a tragedy it was in 79 when when he died in the airplane crash. He's from Canton, Ohio. He was a Yankee captain. They had won two consecutive world championships. They were going for a third. He dies in August, and the team just went right downhill after that because he was the heart and soul of that team, as you remember, Mark. And they built that stadium ten years later in his honor, in his memory. And to me, it's just a big insult that that stadium has got his name on it and it's in that kind of shape. And, and in my opinion, Mark, I think it, it behooves maybe Major League Baseball. It behooves especially the New York Yankees, and as far as I'm concerned, the Cleveland Indians, to donate some money, put a team in there. And, and I don't think it would take more than five dollars $600,000 to bring that stadium back up to par where you would be able to play some play some minor league games, put a minor league team in there, and, and you would draw fans, Mark. You would draw fans from all over, and, and that's my idea. I was just extremely disappointed at that, and I think the Yankees, the Indians, and even Major League Baseball should look into that. Hey, Dave, as an aside uh, on that Thurman Munson story, uh, when I worked in Florida, my sales manager down there was a guy named Jerry Anderson, and Jerry was the pilot of that plane. And, oh wow! Yeah, and I, I remember seeing scars uh, on his body from the fire uh, on that plane. And he told me many times what had happened. Uh, they could not get him out. They tried to get him out. Uh, they they were kicking the dashboard. They were pulling on him. And and unfortunately, Thurman was fully awake. Uh, and when that happened, and he died in the flames. The crash did not kill him. And it, it's so strange seeing the. Um, um, when, when you hear something, you read it in the paper, and you don't understand that real people are involved. And here I had my sales manager who was actually the instructor on that thing, and I think he was sitting in the back seat, I believe. But he Yeah, was, if I remember right, yeah. And, Thurman was piloting it. He yeah, was doing and, touch, touch and goes. Yeah, and he came in too hard. That was the thing. And, and they tried to uh, – he, he was not an experienced pilot. And, and the plane was way too much for his skill set. 
So, you know, it's unfortunate that that happened, but he was, he was a great player. And, um, but when you, when you know people who are actually involved in those things, it, it gives some more reality to it. Yeah. I, you know, it was just disappointing to me, Mark, and depressing to get over there and, and see the, the condition of that stadium and how they really didn't take care of it. Mark, they didn't even have the scoreboard being operated on because it was going to cost the high schools an extra $50. They couldn't use the lights because it was going to cost the high school that was hosting the game an extra $100. Uh, and that place is so money-starved right now. That's why I say I think it behooves the Yankees and the Indians to somehow get involved in this and bring this stadium up to par and put a minor league team in it. That I guess that's my diatribe for the night. Point taken. <laughs> Here's our trivia question for tonight, though. This is your opportunity to redeem yourself from the last week's trivia question, Mark. I got, what I, happened? Pardon? I got one of them right last week. I missed one, and I got one right. That's true. Yeah, well, you haven't got any right tonight. All right, go ahead. All right. What happened on this day in baseball in 1976? On this day in baseball in 19... No, Jesus. 1976. 1976. And I can tell you it happened at Dodger Stadium. I'll give you that hint. That's enough of a hint. Is this something well-known, or is this something... Yes, absolutely, positively... Well known. It was very. It's very historic. Well, the Reds won the World Series that year. You're right. And the Dodgers were competitive that year. They they finished. The Dodgers up. were competitive, and they were playing the Chicago Cubs. Uh, seventy six. Turn to pitch. Who who was the pitchers? Uh, somebody threw a no hitter. Absolutely not. It Is had absolutely nothing to do. With the play on the field. Then you got me. I'll, I'll give it to you because you'll, you'll never get it. You'll know it once I tell you. If I tell you who's involved, you'll know it exactly. Rick Mundy. Oh, sure. Uh, the flag. The flag. You're right. See, I told you if I told you Rick Mundy, you'd get it. In 1976... Cubs outfielder Rick Mundy saved the American flag from being burned on the field at Dodger Stadium by two protesters. Mundy raced over, grabbed the flag before the duo could light it on fire and took it into the dugout. Yep, 40 years ago today, 1976, that's ha that happened. And you know what? Rick Mundy still got the flag. Is that right? He still has the flag. That made his career. It did. You know, Rick, yeah. as another point to follow up on Rick Monday, Rick Monday was as highly touted a prospect coming into Major League Baseball as anybody was back in that era. Uh, he was the Bryce Harper coming in. He never panned out as well, uh, but he that that he played with the Cubs for a long time too, and uh, but that that really made his career. <laughs> yes, it did. As a matter of fact, Rick Mundy was the number one draft pick in 1971. Do you know who the number two draft pick was that year? 
1971. You don't get any extra points for this either, by the way. Oh. No. I'll go ahead and tell you because I was thoroughly amazed when I heard this. Rick Manning. Rick Manning? Manning, right. Yeah. Rick yeah. Manning of the Cleveland Indians. Yeah. He was the number two pick. Boy, did they really screw up that pick. <laughs> that was one that they, they should have given back. Triple play last week, Mark, too. The White Sox pulled a triple play against Texas. Yeah, those. It's it's kind of amazing to me that doesn't happen more often, because you, you know you have these infielders that are that are so adroit at turning double plays, and uh, it, you only have what two or three a year. I, I think they're more rare than uh, than no hitters. Well, this one was interesting. Did you see it? No, I did not. It was the first Saber is calling this, which is the the head of the. Uh, Baseball stats, of course, now. It was the first 9-3-2-6-2-5 triple play, if you're scoring at home. It went from right field to first base to catcher to short to catcher to the third baseman, and they completed the triple play. What? Unbelievable. Man, that, that's, that is interesting. The bases were loaded with no outs in the top of the seventh, when Texas's Mitch Moreland hit a line drive into right field, Adam Eaton made the catch for the White Sox. That's one out. Eaton then threw to first baseman Jose Abreu, who scrambled to tag out Ian Desmond for the second out. Abreu then threw to the catcher, Deano Navarro, who saw Adrian Beltre and Prince Fielder hovering around third base, and he threw to third baseman Tyler Saldino. Saldino made chase after Beltre, then saw Fielder taking off from third and threw back home sending Fielder running back to third, and then Saldino threw to third baseman Todd Frazier, who ultimately chased down and tagged out Fielder. I'll bet that was an easy tag out. <laughs> <laughs> Fielder is not the fleetest afoot. You know, but... So, are you going to be happy with where the Reds are at the end of April if they're hovering just a game or two under five hundred, Mark? Well, yeah, I, I think, again, managing expectations is easy to do when you have low expectations. Uh, the Reds aren't supposed to do anything this year. They're supposed to lose 100 games. And so if they were near 500, a game or two behind 500 or below 500, yeah, I think most people would say that's that's better than we expected. I mean, that would be only, what, uh, 12 games under 500 for the year. Uh, yeah, they'd probably take that. That's uh Better than they were last year. You know, and, this, and the same thing here with the Indians. If they're two, three games over 500, or even actually marked if they're 500 by, well, I mean, let, let's take a look at it. Isn't, uh, isn't Friday May, the uh, last day of the month? I think Saturday is the, uh, no, Saturday is the last day of the month. So Sunday is May 1st. So that's Cinco de Mayo. So Saturday I'd be happy if the rest of this week the Indians hovered right around two, three games over 500 or even were 500 heading into Sunday's action. I would not be upset about that at all. Yeah, why though? I mean, your your team, by by your estimation, is a much better team than that. Why are you happy with that team, with that roster, with that pitching staff playing only 500 ball? Because in the last two years in April they've lost the playoffs because they have finished sub 500. 
if I remember correctly, last year they were about 10 games under 500 going into May, and they spent the rest of the year trying to catch up. Same thing two years ago. Three years ago when they made the playoffs, they finished 500 in April, and they made the playoffs. So I'd be happy with 500, and then let them get onto a winning streak in May and June and start expanding the lead. But right now they're only a couple, they're two and a half games actually out of first place in the Central behind the White Sox and the Kansas City Royals. So as long as they stay within shouting distance of those two teams, I'll be happy. Well, I wouldn't be. I think that team is better than, no, honestly, I wouldn't. And you're talking about two of the better teams in baseball. Uh, the Royals, uh, particularly, I think, are, 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 I think they're the team to be favored in the Central Division of the American League. Uh, the White Sox are good, and you give those teams a four or five game lead in, in May and June, it's going to be hard to catch them. And I don't think Cleveland's that good. If they can get behind by half a dozen games and, and have the, the horsepower to catch up with those two with those pitching staffs. Well, right now, if you take a look at the, the scores, of the two games that the Reds and the Indians are involved in, the Reds are tied with the Mets heading into the eighth inning of play. Not three any, to three. Not anymore. What is it? Five to three, New York. Oh wow. Two well, two run home run by Neil Walker. Wow, that just happened. Okay. And the Indians are ahead two to nothing over the Minnesota Twins. Boy, the Twins have really gone into the dumper over the last few games. Over the, the beginning of this season, Mark, they're only five and fourteen on the year. And, you know, I know they lost a lot of talent during the winter, but wow. Yeah, that team is going to have some problems. And the, you know, the Central Division, when you have a, a weak team like that uh, in a division like the Central, they're going to get beat up pretty much. I mean, each team wants to go in there and win, you know, fourteen, fifteen games against the Twins, uh, which they're capable of doing in that division. Mark, here's one final question before we, we sign off for tonight. These challenges that managers put forward, why don't they allow the pitchers to throw warm-up pitches while these challenges are going on? Well, I, I don't know that there's a rule that they don't. Uh, but if you are if you don't know how long it's going to be, you don't want to be out there throwing, you know, 10, 12, 15 pitches. So, um, you know, it's a... I'm not sure we have to check on that and see if that's actually a rule because I think they're allowed to throw if they wish. But some of these some of these challenges are lasting four minutes. Yeah, they are. They're going way too long, aren't they? They are. It, it, that's not the way it's supposed to be. Right now, the Indians are challenging a pickoff play at first base, and I will say this: with the the new instant replay looks anymore, it is kind of difficult to see whether guys are safe or out. You do have to look at it a few times. Oh, yeah. I, mean, I agree, and, and I'm all for it. And, you know, it's funny. <clears throat> Somebody mentioned today in the paper about the length of the games. And who's complaining? About, Nobody. About, media. The media. Yeah. I mean, a great game that lasts three three and a half hours is a great game. I don't care. Why does it have to be fast? I mean, I don't understand it. I agree. Uh, yeah, I, I absolutely agree with you. No doubt about it. Mark, what do the Reds have coming up this week? Trouble. Uh, <laughs> they, got, they got the Mets the next two games. It looks like they're going to lose this game. Uh, then they got Pittsburgh. They go to Pittsburgh for three. And, uh, you know, every series the Reds uh, have the opportunity to, to be swept. And that's that's what 
makes up a bad team. How about the Indians? The Indians have got Minnesota tonight and then tomorrow night and Wednesday night. They're off Thursday, and then they go to Philadelphia Friday, Saturday, and Sunday afternoon. So the Indians have an opportunity to really make some hay this week, and we'll find out what they do on next week's show. Mark, have a good week. We'll talk to you again next Monday night. You too, Dave. All right. That's going to do it for tonight's show. Our thanks to everyone for listening here this evening. Don't forget, coming up tomorrow, we've got softball action for you here on UltimateSportsTalk.com as the Indian, as the Waynedale Golden Bears softball team will be at Smithville. We'll be on the air with the pregame show at about 4.45 tomorrow afternoon. Our thanks to Greg Mitchell for producing tonight's show, but most of all, our thanks to you for listening. And to Mark Donahue also for joining us here tonight. I'm Dave Mitchell. Don't forget to join us next Monday night again at 9 o'clock with another Ohio Baseball Weekly Show. Until then, good night, everybody. The Wiz Kids had won it. Bobby Thompson had done it. And Yogi read the comics all the while. Rock and roll was being born, marijuana we would scorn. So down on the corner, the national pastime went on trial. We're talking baseball, Klazuski, Campanella, talking baseball. The man and Bobby Feller, the scooter.